All right. Hello, everyone. Uh, I'm super excited about today's guest joining us out of Atlanta. Uh, our guest today is Enrique Alvarez. He is co-founder and managing director of Vector Global Logistics. And oh boy, anytime you hear logistics now, a whole new world has opened up to us since the pandemic. Uh, Vector Global uh, ha uh, Logistics has a mission of changing the world, uh, which I can't wait to hear more about that. Uh, Enrique and um, I know Vector Global Logistics has been a multi-year winner of the best and brightest companies to work for not only at a national level but locally in Atlanta as well. Uh, welcome Enrique. Hey Jennifer thank you so much for having me here I'm excited about this conversation and I'm very humbled to be part of your show. Well you know uh, let's let's get right into it. Um, Give us the magnitude of what you do, what it, what your company does. You hear logis logistics, you hear supply chain. Um, you're a global um, uh, company. Tell us what a typical week looks like and, and what you do out in the world. Yeah, so what our company really does is coordinate freight, international shipping for a lot of our clients. And we are international, as mentioned, because uh, we have presence around the world. So we not only have 150 agents uh, around the world. We have our own offices in the US, Mexico, Chile, Malaysia, Vietnam, China, and I'm really happy to announce here at your show that we're opening a Peru office this year. So it's it's very exciting. Now, what that means is we have contracts with major uh, suppliers, steamship lines in particular, and then we turn around and try to coordinate freight for our clients, making sure that we move their containers from point A to point B, and we do it in a, in a very unique way given our results-based mentality and, of course, as you mentioned earlier, our passion to give back. Well, let's talk about that a little bit more. Um, it's, it's everything that I know about your organization is about giving back, giving back, making the world better. How exactly do you do that? Yeah, so we actually have different levers to do that, but the first one and the one that's kind of more directly connected to what we do is we're for every container we ship depending on the office that you're talking about we're donating uh different things in the us for example for every container we move we donate 50 meals to children in kenya uh, through an organization called surf in mexico we donate to children with cancer and their families through canica and in chile we're actually helping children with special needs and in Vietnam, which is one of our newest offices, we just recently settled on one of the causes. And of course, I let my team and the regional office take care of selecting the cause that they're going to be supporting. So it's all about trying to give back, doing the right things and knowing, and this is something that I know for sure, that the more you give, the, the more you get. And that's kind of how we've been successfully growing and sustainably growing. And it's really something that defines us and our company. Yeah, does it, it 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 makes it fun too that you're doing something to help the the world. Um, I'm sure your employees are. It's one of the reasons why they want to work there. I'm you know that's a no brainer. Um, tell us a little bit more. I I noticed that you do some some efforts in Ukraine. What tell us yeah. a little bit about that? Yeah, and and I. Uh, uh, 
Yes, of course. And it's not only the Ukraine. We, for to give you an example, and I would invite people to go to our website and maybe download the uh, impact report for last year, because we have worked last year alone with 34 different organizations, all of them incredible, and they're doing amazing uh, job around uh, work around the world. Now, the efforts in the Ukraine happened when the war started, and the idea was to, we have agents around the world. In Ukraine, uh, we had couple of agents, good friends, and just looking at the atrocity that they were going through, we just had, we're compelled to do something. It's not something we have, it's not something new to us. We have a relief team that helps with natural disasters and some other uh, issues and challenges in the world like this one. So what we're doing is two things. One, coordinating and scheduling a monthly meeting so that people that are uh, related to the Ukraine or that want to help the Ukraine or want to just somewhat contribute to the relief efforts in the region can participate. So we're just matchmaking. We just opened the, the forum. We coordinated this monthly calls and again, invite everyone to join us for the next one. And we're basically trying to help connect people because there's a lot of people out there that are very, very uh, interested in helping each other. So there's a lot of good people out there. And then the other thing yeah, is we're donating for it. You, you can do it. You have all the equipment. You can take resources where it's in need. What a what a wonderful um, thing to do. And you didn't have to do it, right? I think uh, I think we did have to do it. I mean, it's part of the part of the culture we have, and it's part of the promise that we've made to ourselves and to the world. And so, actually, I don't think there was a, a an option here. We definitely <laughs> had to do it. Well said. Well said. Thank you. Uh, let's shift gears a little bit, um, Enrique. You know, supply chain—that's all we've been hearing about. That's all you you see in uh, the newspapers and what have you. Um, you are what we would consider now a leading indicator um, of what's going on in the world. And tell us a little bit about where the supply chain is now, what your impression is now, and what advice would you give to other leaders right now as it relates to um, predicting supply chain impacts on business operations? Right. So, well, the first part is uh, supply chain really embodies everything that we use on a daily basis, right? From the microphone that I'm using to the phone, to the computer, the book, the clothes that we're wearing. It's, so it's it's very, very broad and, and very complex, and it's also very global and everything's interconnected. So when you're talking about supply chain, uh, some of the issues that we faced were uh, when it came to freight in particular and ocean and air shipping, ocean in particular, and uh, it was it was really bad. No one really was expecting it. There was really no way for us or software or AI to predict what happened during the pandemic. And so it was a very humbling experience, first and foremost, for everyone out there. Because we all felt that we had this under control. We all felt that we knew how much inventory we needed to have. We all knew kind of uh, our our main trade lanes where suppliers were where manufacturing was happening and all of a sudden coronavirus basically just took that out very quickly and uh, left us uh, finding ourselves in a position that i don't think we have ever seen before uh, so first and foremost when it comes to forecasting things like that i think now we're much better prepared 
to to what might come in the future because of two things. One, we we're probably getting a little too uh, overconfident, and now we know that we don't know as much as we think we know, and we now actually need to factor in that kind of portion and variability of things mm -hmm. into the equation. And the second part is uh, we have an oral clients have actually looked into their supply chains and they're trying to change them or adjust them to make them a little more robust uh, mm -hmm. by maybe nearshoring some of their manufacturing, by maybe investing in developing new and more reliable suppliers, but maybe changing the way the packaging is designed or the product is sourced. And so it, it, I think the supply chains are still fragile. Uh, in general, we are from like a price standpoint better off than during the pandemic. We're actually back to pre-pandemic rates when it came, comes to ocean shipping from Asia, which is a really good thing. Yeah, definitely good news. I think companies have the right amount of inventory. Some of them actually overstocked during the pandemic, but now they have the product here and are ready to sell it. And so what's left is really just taking the time to readjust the supply chain, readjust the processes, learn from this experience and really keep growing, uh, mm -hmm. keep growing more integrated as, as, a, as a client supplier uh, manufacturer team. So it sounds like it's still fragile, which means uh, a lot for, for those listening today. Um, you'll let us know when that changes though, Enrique, we'll get the word out. <laughs> <laughs> it's the good, the good news. Absolutely. And I will be delighted to come back, but I mean, the good news is that it is definitely stabilizing. Um, yeah. and I think it's just going to be industry by industry now, because of course, some of the, some industries are, were hit harder than others. Uh, you have some shortages still like in the microchips and uh, some other products out there that are still trying to catch up with the huge demand that they now have. Uh, but but in general, it is recuperating quickly. Thank you. Thank you. Well, let's dive a little bit more into that. So usually when I'm in a room full of leaders <laughs> and we start, you know, you start venting about the past three years and what you've overcome and, and whatnot, and people start saying, oh my gosh, I had to do this and I had to do that. Um, Share, share for the purposes of everyone uh, listening, some of the challenges that you had to do. What's your pandemic story, your your war story, so to speak, um, and what did you learn from it? Well, from a cultural standpoint, our company is based on uh, what we call results-only environment, and it's based on a book called Why Work Sucks that I strongly recommend to you and your <laughs> listeners. Why it Work says, Sucks? Okay, why work sucks yes now. and it it <laughs> please do and and it's a good book and so it basically says that you take the time and space component out of the equation and you're measuring performance by results and results only and i'm trying to explain all this to you so to tell you that when the pandemic hit we were already working remotely we don't believe the nine to five mentality we wouldn't have like a we don't believe in work-life balance either so we were very well positioned as vector to tackle this as other companies were still trying to figure out how to work remotely. We've been doing it since we started the company. So we were a little bit uh, ahead when it came to that. Now, I know that that was a big, big challenge for many 
right? So mm -hmm. it's not something that we faced. So it's not kind of a, a good answer to your question. And I'll go to what we did really struggle with. But in general, I think that was the main the main concern and main challenge for most. Like, how do we figure out this remote work scenario? Because we got to continue providing services to our clients, especially in logistics. Uh, but people cannot come to the office. We might not have laptops. How do we coordinate? So this is something that I would mention out there and a lot of people went through that. For us, it was really the sheer amount of volume that was needed because so at some point you went from like shipping regular products to all the PPE products, the masks, the gloves, all that. And that was taking a lot of space. Uh, so it was really dealing and partnering with our agents around the world. And I think uh, some of the things that we struggle with was um, time. We just didn't have enough time. We we were working many many hours real. a week and burnt out, right? So our team was tired and we we're uh, working many hours a day trying to get bookings, which are reservations to to vessels, so we could ship the products on time for our clients. So time was one. We worked really hard, but the things that we learned is we have a really good partners around the world very good agents and for me personally it was really something that validated the culture and validated why we do things because we all stepped up and everyone functioned the way that it should have they should have and uh, and we had i think now that we're going through it and we have a much more stronger team uh kind of uh forged in in those months of constant challenges so uh so it was that was what i learned the most you need to have strong partnerships you need to have a, a strong solid foundation uh reflected at the i guess culture of the company has to be strong to, su to survive and then to go through things like this and the third thing is you have to be flexible nimble and learn i mean we're constantly learning and doing things in many different ways that we've never done before. So you have to be flexible. So those, I would say those three things uh, I learned and I think we all kind of learned through the pandemic. So I can't help but see what looks like the ocean behind you and you described <laughs> flexible and nimble. Well, isn't that what Blue Ocean Strategy is about? Um, I, I've talked about Blue Ocean Strategy about and before and what we talk about is you need a crisis in order to discover what you're really capable of. And that's what we all just went through. A blue ocean strategy was forced upon us and we had to be flexible and nimble, but you're right. A culture, if the culture's not there and the foundation's not there, that's when it crumbles, right? So let's talk about your culture. You said you're, you're mostly a remote workforce. Um, what do you do to engage your team and tell us some of the things that are cool about working with you and, and for you, Enrique? Yeah, and so just to quick note there, it's basically taking the time and space out of the equation. Doesn't mean that we are a remote work environment. It means that people can do whatever they need to do as long as they're hitting certain targets, right? So people still come to the office if they want to. People still attend meetings if they want or they if they want to or they actually think they're useful for what they need to do so so it's it's very flexible uh and and at the end of the day it's really just putting the pressure back on people to perform so for us it's a lot easier to manage individuals and teams because we know whether things are happening or not because we're just focusing on that and leaving everything else out so uh so that's 
that's really what our culture is all about. Now, we just happen to be in logistics, but what really binds us together is uh, the purpose that we have behind our culture. So we have the mentality, results only, and then we also have this purpose-driven organization that's really trying to leverage logistics, and we have coined the phrase uh, logistics with purpose, um, to use what we do, use logistics, and then try to really change the world with that. And so if you combine the results mentality with the purpose-driven organization, then it becomes a very vibrant and dynamic and, and fun culture to be a part of. And uh, I mean, I'm totally biased, but I love kind of waking up every day. And as you said, it's it's so much different and so much better to try to do what we do, thinking that you're just not moving a container from this origin to this destination. You're providing hope, you're sending books, you're sending medicines, you're saving lives, you're helping the Ukraine. So it's it's a little bit more fulfilling and I feel like uh, that's what everyone in our team feels and, and I feel like I'm just really grateful and thankful that my team wants to keep working with me because uh, I just enjoy being here. It seems like that's your secret sauce, that's your formula is uh, having a strong mission and purpose and sticking to it allowing freedom of your team members to do their thing that they think is best for them and getting results, being very results focused. And it, you make it seem so simple. Um, but people, people go to school for years to learn that, or they read a, a hundred books to, you make it sound so simple. Um, let's talk about the journey to get there. Um, do you have any regrets in your leadership journey or, lessons learned yeah I, well i have many right and, and and i have personally made all the mistakes in the book and then some right so we and we're okay i'm i'm okay making mistakes we actually encourage people to make mistakes if it takes because i feel like make two things one i feel like right now um our culture and the way the world is working, we see mistakes as a bad thing. And, and I think it's hard to grow a successful company if everyone's terrified of making a mistake because then they rely on the process or they ask still too many questions or they're not wanna take action. And, and for us it's like, listen, mistakes are going to happen. Now, what really makes the difference is how are you going to handle those mistakes? What are you gonna learn from them? How are you going to approach your clients and acknowledge the fact that you made a mistake? And I think that's what makes us very unique and, and, and very different from other companies. So um, one of the regrets I have though, and it's something that I have learned the hard way as well after making tons of other mistakes is not letting people go earlier, right? I mean, this, nice quote-unquote vibrant dynamic culture we have sometimes and i'll speak for myself i just hate firing people it's just hard mm -hmm. i don't want to do it it's just against what i really think and uh but it's but i have learned that if you don't let people go that are not right for the company or the culture or the results you're really just uh hurting the whole organization a lot more so i think if there was one piece of advice for other entrepreneurs or even uh, and people out there, I would just say, once you know that someone's just not right for the company or the culture, you gotta have that conversation, let them go. And of course, it's not personal. Um, I'm not saying that this is the best way of doing things. I'm not saying that we're better than others. Well, all I'm saying is, well, you can be successful in certain companies, in certain cultures, in certain ways of working. And for some, this might not be it. Yeah. 
Very well said. And what's the phrase, hire slow, fire fast? Yes, um, absolutely. It, it's hard. And I think that's the, the side of um, being a leader that is the hardest, is the managing of people, making sure that they're cared for. And when they don't work, uh, no matter how much you like them or want the success, if it's not working, at the end of the day, you're sitting in the seat that has to make that judgment call. And I don't know about you, but I take that home. That that sits with me for hours and days and weeks. And is this the right thing? And what's the impact on them and their life? And I, I think that's what makes a good leader, right? Is you, is you need to, to weigh on that quite a bit. It's It's hard. It's hard. I agree, to. but then you realize, no, I totally agree with you, right? You're absolutely yeah. right. It's a personal decision you'll probably sometimes have to make that it's, you know, it's not going to make the other person happy. Uh, but that's in the short term, right? I think as if you continue doing it and you practice it and you are professional, respectful, and again, stress out the fact that it's not like personal. It's not that the other person's not worth it. It's not that the other person's not smart. It's not that the other person's not working hard. It's just that they're not a good fit to the company right now. So uh, if you make it clear, and I think if you practice it a lot, and then you'll do get better. And, and I can proudly say that I actually have fired people that are still my friends and we go out and have beers. And I had to make the hard decision. and. Honestly, That's talking to them and talking to them, it's better for them too in the long term because they find a company that they can thrive in. And so, um, so yes, I, I totally agree with you. It's one of those things that you just have to go through and get better at, uh, always being humble and putting yourself in that other person's shoes for sure. So let's talk about um, diversity. Uh, I see that you're certified as a minority uh, supplier. Congratulations. I know that's a lot of hard work to get that certification each year. Um, how does diversity weigh into everything that you do? Um, and, and what do you think your responsibility is as it relates to diversity, equity, and inclusion? Well, um, it's a big part of what we do, and it's a big part of our competitive advantage. Having teams around the world and having people from different backgrounds is key to successfully and efficiently resolving challenges, period, right? So if if you really want to come with uh, elegant solutions to problems you might be having, you need a diverse team to resolve it. It can be just one person. It can be just one way of thinking. It has to be people that have different backgrounds that come and see the problem and look at it from different angles. and and that's when that's when you can really uh, succeed so for us diversity is not something that we have quotas for it's not something that we keep a too close track of we're basically just hiring the best people uh, that come to our uh, through our staffing uh, efforts and and that's it it's, there's there's no bias there's uh, the culture as I mentioned before it's based on results so they don't have to be here they don't have to be anywhere at the end of the day as long as you you get your job done and you do what you're supposed to do and you reach your marks then you can really be anywhere be everywhere and do whatever you want so uh so yeah that's that's key for sure yeah. well i think it's important for young people to see leaders like yourself being successful in leading uh i think that's really important um 
So what advice would you give to a young person? Maybe they're uh, recently graduated or they want to be an entrepreneur. Uh, they want to be a leader on their team or, or what have you. And they, they look like you and they've had your background. What advice would you give them? Well, I would say that uh, leadership is very glorified these days. So everyone wants to be a leader, but that's not effective, right? I mean, no one can be always a leader. And I don't consider myself like the leader of this team or this company. It's, I'm just another team player. And I'm, again, happy that my team actually sees me as such. And we actually have a really good team together. And I think we're strong because of that. So what I would tell younger people is, if you really want to be a leader, you don't have to be too stressed about being a leader. I don't think that true leaders actually want to be leaders. They just do what they need to do when they need to do it. And I think other people that see that example consider them leaders. But but if, I think if you're considering yourself a leader, I think you're probably not there yet. So, uh, <laughs> so I would say if you're just graduating, um, I think money is important. Don't get me wrong, right? So we all have tons of expenses and we all have to live. Uh, but I would seek out uh, good mentors, leadership examples, uh, good opportunities to learn, to grow, to do things in certain areas that you're particularly interested in. And again, it's not that you're doing everything that you're passionate about, because I feel like there's a little bit of a cliche out there about just do what you're passionate about. Like, uh, yes, maybe on average right on the aggregate you do have to be passionate about what you do but there's tons of days that suck there's no other there's no easy way of doing it right it's just work and at the end of the day sometimes it's not fun sometimes it takes a lot of time sometimes it's it's painful and 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 you have to get used to that so if you're young just roll your sleeves get used to the punches don't yeah. complain too much try to always learn try to always work for people that you admire or that you somewhat uh, can learn from and uh, and uh, something that i 100 percent convinced and this is something that everyone at vector is convinced is that if you do the right things for the right reasons and you work incredibly hard the money will come so money is not something that we're seeking we all know that we do the right things for our clients, for our suppliers, we're good people, we believe in long-term relationships, the money will come and it has come, right? So we're a successful company, but not because we're seeking to maximize profits. It's because we're seeking to maximize value and the profits come. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think um, when you read about leadership or hear about a CEO or what have you, there's this glamour that goes with it. That's really not accurate. And one of the, one of the things that, um, well, I have lots of thoughts on this, but you know, it's sometimes overrated, right? As you said, Absolutely. there's a lot of parts of the job that suck. Uh, it, and you said it very well. You just, I think, um, getting the experience of doing things that you don't want to do when uh, when you don't want to do them is what makes a leader. Is being able to handle those kind of things, the the hard stuff, um, and Absolutely. diving in without the emotion or or the ego. I, it, well said, Enrique. Well, and one more thing, Jennifer, to your point, um, I think I think you also have to be brave enough to follow others. Like good leaders, I'm sure follow others too. So you you yeah. if you have someone that has a good idea, you have to be willing to follow them as well. 
right? And and full heart heartedly. And and I think that's important uh, for people to learn. And they don't have to be young. I know we talked about younger people that are trying to get into the workforce, but honestly, it doesn't matter if you're like 18 or 68, right? I mean, mm-hmm. if you see someone doing something cool, why not following them? Right. Very well said. So in continuing uh, this theme of being a human, uh, less so about uh, being the title or the leader or the one in charge, uh, let's help me demystify that. Let's talk about you as a human. What do you do? What's the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning? First thing I do when I wake up in the morning, uh, I, uh, it's really well after turning the alarm off i wish i could sometimes i beat the alarm which is frustrating because i wish i could sleep a little bit more but uh i actually have gone to the uh, habit of before getting into the shower so you go to the bathroom do whatever you need to do and then before i get to the shower i do a couple of push-ups or whatever and then shower and so that's that's the first thing first thing i do is just get ready so i can take my kids to school um, yeah. So I would consider the first things once I drop my kids off school and then I get to the office. That's kind of like when my day really starts. Yeah. The other part is just very automatic and very process oriented. I guess I could probably even do it a little bit of sleep uh, these days. But uh, when I get to the office, I try to um, look, read a little bit, like one or two pages. Uh, I One of my New Year's resolutions is to read a little bit more, which I haven't done in a while. So come to the office, I literally read one or two pages. I can't read a lot more than that because my brain is already racing with things. Uh, And then think about the goal for the week. Think about some of the things that are going to push the needle and then uh, try to avoid emails. That's what I would say. (laughs) It's sometimes really hard, but I I feel like some emails are um, are just a pain. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Um, All right. Uh, Let's see. Um, How do you manage stress? Uh, I don't know. Hold on one second. I know what's going on. That's okay. You're there. You came back. back. Yeah. So how do I manage stress? I love soccer and I like sports, so I usually just resort to going for a run or doing some exercise. I think it's the best way now. Yeah. I don't think that stress is a negative thing, though. Uh, I feel like stress is a natural response to to things that are might be challenging, but for me, it's not necessarily negative. So I kind of sometimes embrace those challenges. I feel the little stress or the rush and 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 i think it helps me kind of uh start doing what i need to do so i i guess i just don't i'm not afraid of stress i guess the first thing that i do to manage stress and then the second thing is probably exercise that's great that's great um so when you do eat and you're not exercising (laughs) (laughs) what are some of your favorite meals or go-to places for food well, food, I'm not, I'm not a foodie, so I'm not like big into food. I love, uh, I love uh, meat, uh, which I probably shouldn't eat that often, uh, but I like, I like a good steak and a beer. Oh, good. 
Good. Ice cream is also one of my favorite foods okay, as well. Ice cream. That's a mutual passion. What's your favorite ice cream? Uh, I have many, but I guess chocolate, pistachio, and I mean, strawberry. It depends, but like the, the ice cream's <laughs> ice cream's good. Got to celebrate the small stuff in life, right? Whoever invented ice cream, we, we pay homage to them. <laughs> for, for sure. Hands down. Yeah. And pizza. All right. Well, let's let's end on something a little bit more serious. What advice or what um, do you feel is the de definition of happiness? How do, how do you define happiness? Well, happiness, and this is something that I tell my kids very often, so it's actually kind of a somewhat easy question for me. Uh, happiness for me is being thankful for what you have. Gratitude is the key. I would agree with that. Very well said, Enrique. I've had a pleasure talking. I, I'm a big fan now. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm a big fan of you too. We should definitely talk again. This has been a lot of fun. So yeah, thank you, thank you so much for thinking of me. I would I would love oh, you to talk it. to you, Jennifer. And and thanks for what you do because I really think that what you do is very important as well. I think that highlighting interesting individuals, not that I'm saying that I am, but like some of all your other guests, uh, it's it's important because that's really uh, inspiring for, for people like me. So I actually uh, do listen to the interviews of uh, like this okay. one and, and get inspired by it and, and actually gives me that extra energy to keep going. So thank you. Well, you're equally inspiring. It was wonderful having you. Keep shining bright, Enrique.